Never leave us nor forsake us, God. Thank you so much. You are always there. In every moment, in every season, he's always there. Always there.
Will you satisfy my heart, oh God?
Well, today we are talking about living in the front line. And this is the fourth sermon in the series. So if you haven't seen the others, please go and have a look at the others. Because today we are going to make a little bit of a gear change. The first three Sundays, we spoke about consistency, how to be consistent in your front line. And from today onwards, we want to start talking about having courage in your front line. Christianity is not a stagnant, passive belief system. It is active. It is intentional. So it is important for us to be courageous and to move forward. And today I want to lay a bit of a biblical foundation for you for having courage and moving forward as you go forth in molding culture. Now, I wonder what you believe culture is. Now, if you go look at all the different definitions of culture, there is, it is a diverse bunch of thinking that goes into trying to define culture. From philosophy to psychology and all over the place, there is all these different definitions. But what they all have in common is basically, it is the way we do things around here. Now, I wonder in South Africa, there is specific ways that we do things. And the best way I can describe culture for you is when we all celebrate on the 24th of September, Heritage Day. Now, for, you, for those of you who don't know, Heritage Day started as a commemoration of Shaka Zulu's um, death. But then it quickly became uh, a celebration of all culture. And it is a beautiful day. It is a colorful day in our country where everybody wears their traditional clothes and it is just an explosion of color and joy in our country. I love Heritage Day. But if you are a South African or if you visit South Africa, one of the big things you will definitely do on Heritage Day or even any weekend is braai. Heritage Day is for many South Africans braai day. Not barbecue day, that's American, braai day. That is when everybody comes and they braai, they buy meat and susatis, burevors, and, and we just have a wonderful day of braaiing that day. But I grew up with braai as part of my culture. But then one day, one of my vendor friends said to me, when I invited them to a bring and braai, they said to me, what's this bring and braai thing? See, in vendor culture, when I invite you for a meal, I provide for everything. I provide the meat. I provide all the foods that goes with the meat, the side dishes, the pudding. I provide the drinks. I provide everything for you. What is this bring and bright thing where you invite me for a meal and I have to bring my own food? You see, in my culture, it was too expensive for somebody. Everybody wanted to visit and get together, but it was just too expensive for, every, for one host to provide for everything. 
So everybody said, but we're not going to let that keep us back. We are going to contribute. So everybody brings their own meat and their own drinks. And sometimes you ask, can I bring a side dish? Can I bring the pudding or the bread rolls? And we all visit. And then on the day when we all have that braai, it's amazing because everybody is actively involved in braaiing the meat, laying the tables, and just making all the salads. It's a fantastic getting together of culture. And I love braai day. I love South Africa. I love this incredible rainbow nation that is rich of culture. Every one of us has a way of doing things. But do you know that culture uh, is a biblical concept? It's not, uh, it, the word is not written in the Bible, but it is expressed all the time in the Bible. And I want to start right from Genesis, laying a bit of a foundation, biblical foundation of culture, because I want to move towards having courage in molding culture. But for us to have courage, I don't know about you, but if I know it's biblical, and if I understand the word, there is nothing like the word of God that gives me courage to live my day every single moment of my life. Now I want to start in Genesis 1 verse 28. In Genesis 1 verse 28, uh, it says, God blessed them and said to them, this is after the creation, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue, subdue it, rule over the fish of this, in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We also know this uh, scripture as the cultural mandate. You see, we are made in the image of God. We are like, uh, more like God than anything else that he has created. He has given us the creative ability to create. So wherever we go, we create. May it be through the buildings that we built, the artworks, the practices that we have, we create. We create culture on a daily basis. Therefore, in your workplace, you will experience a certain kind of culture. In your home, you will experience a certain kind of culture. The way we um, express Christmas, for instance, is a certain kind of culture. It's the way we do things together. We are creative in creating culture. But the important thing is, Culture must always glorify God. And in Romans 11, verse 36, we see, Romans 11, verse 36, from everything comes, for everything comes from him, that is from Jesus, and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. This is such an incredible scripture that says everything comes from God. Your creativity, your ability to create culture comes from God. And it is to glorify God. But we live in a fallen culture. In Genesis 3, we read about the fall of man. When Adam and Eve sinned and everybody birthed after that, every person born after that is born in sin. 
We are born in fallen culture. We are now, for since then, creating fallen culture. And it's important for us to know that, that we live in a world with, that has fallen culture, that is broken. So how do we live in this world? How do we glorify God in this world? How do we move forward in this world? How do we express that cultural mandate, that creativity that only God can give us? How do we express it in this world? How do we mold culture in this world? How do we change culture? How do we let the kingdom of God come into this world? I want us now to have a look at a video of uh, a wonderful person and a friend of ours. He is part of the greater family of Hatfield, Gerard Wolmerans. Gerard Wolmerans is a professor at um, Pretoria University, or Tux, as some people know it. And we all want to just have a look at his bravery in his workplace in molding culture. Culture is not necessarily about the tribe you belong to. It has a lot to do with ideas and behaviors. It's the way things are done around here. A culture can be toxic or life-giving. Culture often shapes us. Like you go to work at a certain place and you change, consciously or not, according to the way things are done around there. It works both ways. We can also mold culture. In fact, as Christians, we are called to positively influence the culture on our front lines so that others can flourish. Let me share a story about someone in our community. Gerard is a lecturer in political science at the University of Pretoria. A university is a place not only for studies, but it also has a culture of its own. In academia, the drive for success is strong. There's a lot of pressure to push yourself forward. As a Christian, do you struggle with jostling for positions? Like anyone else, Gerard wants to be successful. But rather than clamoring to the limelight, is there a better way? Yes, I think one of the ways in which we can impact the culture of our workplaces is not just in what we do, but in how we do things, right? And as you rightly indicated, there's such pressure to succeed. There's such pressure to be the best, right? And, um, you know, as Christians, we know that our true identity, our true reward is with the Lord. We don't, we, have, we don't just have this life in which to make it right. Our aim in this life is not just to succeed, right, and get to the top, right. That is not our aim, right. Our aim is to live a life of following him. Right. And um, so in a workplace that might translate in you at times stepping back and allowing others to follow an opportunity. Right. Because I know my reward is in heaven. My my uh, uh, the, the fullness of life that I will attain is guaranteed for me in heavenly places. Right. So um, I think that we can, as Christians, easily defer to others. Right. And say, no, you go first rather than just pushing yourself ahead. What's the antidote for this kind of self-promotional striving? Gerard believes that humility is the key. I think the hard part about molding culture is that it sets you up for possible conflict 
is to go against the current, right? To be different, right? And um, so I think to do that effectively needs a great balance of, of the humility and the gentleness and the love that comes from the fruit, of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit in us, right? Because having to go against the current with a hard attitude will just make you a pariah quickly, right? But to be countercultural, but with a, with a gentleness and a meekness and a kindness, right? Um, I think that'll be the key, right? To be countercultural and to avoid the conflict that can come from that. We're not all called to turn down a promotion. In fact, Gerard believes that God will promote him in due course. However, in order to influence a flawed culture, he felt to act in the opposite spirit. Gerard exerts an influence on the self-promotional culture of academia by being humble and others-oriented, even when it costs him. Molding culture sounds so daunting. It's the stuff of superheroes for which superhero skill and strength are needed. It is difficult changing a culture. But it is not too difficult to simply make a start. Humility is also a quality that Gerard embodies when teaching. He believes in first listening, seeking to understand before judging. When he teaches the various worldviews, including those at odds with his own, he does so in a balanced way, modeling the way he'd like his students to engage. But as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, it also gives me the opportunity to feed into my students, right? Not just an, a Christian take on things. That's not what I do. I don't present them overtly with a Christian take. But based on a Christian understanding and in a biblical worldview, it offers me the opportunity to do a bit of cultural criticism, right? To critique um, some of the dominant narratives that we see in the world, some of the uh, uh, prominent secular streams of culture, right? To show that it has blind spots, that are there, there are weaknesses to it, right? And then to also feed in maybe different takes, different understandings to my students. So I trust that I equip my students with um, a form of intellectual rigor that allows them to look at the world around them and the culture, the secular culture around them, and not just to automatically absorb it, but to have a critical lens through which they look at it and, and to also then maybe consider alternatives, right? It is not my job at the university to be a preacher, right? I'm a teacher, Right. So I expose my students to the varieties of uh, intellectual paradigms and trends that you find in the world and to then honestly look at them. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Right. And um, in this way to to um, to not just create a culture where people just go with the flow and just be conformed to the world. Right. But to present them with ways of of interrogating that which confronts them so that they, when they are confronted then with a Christian alternative, right, to recognize its strengths in addressing a lot of the weaknesses that we find in the dominant culture around the world. Gerard shows the strengths and blind spots of each worldview. He teaches his students to think critically so that they have a grid with which to evaluate the cultural ideas. In this way, he teaches his students to engage critically and equips them to be thinking individuals in this world.
Isn't that an incredible story? I love the story of Gerard. What a brave man having to influence quite a complicated um, situation where he has to navigate uh, molding culture in such a direct, however indirect way. Not walking around Bible bashing everybody, but being salt in his front line. I love that story. That gives me courage that I can be salt. I can be uh, brave in my front line. I want us to read John 17 as I want to go a little bit deeper. John 17 from verse 13 to 19. This is where Jesus is praying to God for his disciples. And we're only going to read from verse 13. He says, I, Jesus, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am of this world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world for them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Now, there's three things I want us to notice from this scripture. The first word is the word world. This word world in the Greek um, is cosmos. And cosmos is actually uh, refers to the fallen world. It refers to fallen culture. This is not a culture, but a fallen culture that Jesus is talking about here, that John is mentioning in his gospel. This is a world that is opposite to God's will and to God's mandate in this world. The, the second and the third thing I want us to notice here is that um, is, the, is the fact that we as Christians are in the world and not of the world. I want you to think about that a little bit. We are in the world, this is our location. But we are not of the world, our identity. In the world talks about our location, of the world talks about our identity. Our identity is that we are of Christ. Or as Paul talks about it, I am in Christ all the time. He talks about it all over his epistles. This is my identity. I'm a Christian. I, I am patterned after God. I reflect who he is. I image him wherever I go. My location is in this world. So we as Christians live in a tension between being in the world but not of the world. And there can be two errors that come um, in our thinking around this. We can sometimes live as if we are of 
this world when we shouldn't be because we are in this world. We are of Christ, but we sometimes live as if we are of this world. We call that nominal Christianity. This is when people claim the name of Christ, but they, but they are living as if they are just anyone else. They are shaped by the culture that they live in. There's nothing really different about them. They're just one of the uh, people blending in, being shaped by their culture. Not living necessarily bravely, standing up for truth, for justice, and standing up, living, uh, mirroring who God is. So we can easily be of the world. While God is saying here, Jesus is saying here, we are not of this world. We are of Christ. But the opposite error would be not being in the world. We call this separatist Christianity. That is when you are a Christian and you want to only be with your Christian community. And you don't really, in the world, it doesn't matter what they do because you have your separate kind of uh, community that's completely separate from this world. You withdraw from the world. You might be working um, every day in the world, but you withdraw, not, not reflecting who God is. You want to form your own little separate Christian community, not having any contact with unbelievers. See, but that's not what we are called to do. We are called, as we saw in Gerard's uh, video, we are called to be salt and light. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16. From verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is part of the Sermon on the Mountain where Jesus was teaching people how to live in this fallen world that we find ourselves in. He's talking about being an influence in this world, being salt, making something better. He's talking about being light, shining in dark places. That is quite an active thing. It's not a passive thing. We live in a fallen world with misguided priorities. And if we don't really think about it and um, reflect on it, our, sometimes our priorities can be misguided. I want to go a little bit deeper. 
Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21. From verse 19, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This is quite a scripture. In the scripture, it talks about treasure. Where do you build your treasure? And sometimes we think, we read the scripture and we think about worldly wealth and we think that worldly wealth is wrong and, and is evil. But this is not what the scripture is actually talking about. Worldly wealth is not evil. It's not wrong. This scripture is talking and saying that it should never be my priority. The emphasis is on what do I focus on? What is my priority? Our priority as Christians is to be salt and to be light. Verse 24, Matthew 6, verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Once again, yeah, the scripture talks about money, but the emphasis is not trying to make money evil. The emphasis is what, where is your priority? Because where your priority is, that will be the authority in your life. And what the culture is, if your culture is to, um, to, to make money at the expense of anything or anybody, that culture will become your master. As we can see, that culture can easily become our master. If everybody does it, that doesn't mean you have to do it. If everybody says it, doesn't mean you have to say it. How many of you have been in a situation where you don't swear, you don't use foul language, and you don't reprimand, you work in a front line where everybody uses foul language, and you don't necessarily reprimand them, but you don't do it intentionally. Somehow, you start realizing nobody else around me uses foul language. They kind of feel guilty if they do. It's the weirdest thing. See, intentionally, we mold culture. Sometimes by speaking up. Sometimes by being very intentional in our behavior. Culture can be your master. That is why it is important for us to mold culture into a godly culture. If culture becomes your master, it becomes an idol in your life. And it becomes something you start to worship. It becomes a rival to God and to his purposes. Culture must always, always, Obey God. 
Let's go a little bit deeper. In Luke 6, verse 43 to 45. In 43, it says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its good fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure, treasure produces evil. From out the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Here the scripture says it is an issue of the heart. Culture is an issue of the heart. The way we do things is an issue of the heart. Culture is the way we do things, the way we talk, the way we think. And the scripture says very clearly to us that the way we do things will stem from what is happening in our hearts. In other words, culture is human action coming from the human heart. The state of the human heart will produce culture. If the heart is toxic, it will produce a toxic culture. If the heart is corrupt, it will produce a corrupt culture. I might have the ability to create, but I can create a toxic culture or a corrupt culture because of the state of my heart. We might have the ability to make movies, to create wonderful movies, but if I make a pornographic movie, that is a toxic culture, creating a culture of sexual behavior, for instance. And that behavior does not glorify God. However, Jesus also says that a good tree bears good fruit. If a corrupt heart is changed by the Spirit of God and a person is transformed from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, that becomes the basis for good fruit, for good culture. A good culture will come from a good heart that is in line with God's will, with his word. It will be an, a culture of transformation. And that's what we want to produce at the end of the day. That's what we want to lean into. The scripture implies that the gospel itself is transformative of culture. Now, this is very, very important because this gives me courage in my front line. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them 
in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of this age. If it is true that the gospel have, has transformative power in our culture, then it is true that we should be brave in our front line and lean forward because there's a cosmic influence that we can have. This scripture points back to Genesis 1 with a cultural mandate of go into the world and be fruitful and multiply. This scripture says, now go into fallen world and make disciples. You mirror out of the fruit of your heart. You mirror and mold culture. And you bring culture back to its original intention to glorify God. The cultural mandate cannot be fulfilled apart from the Great Commission. This is the only way we can honor God. But it takes this kind of bravery to mold culture. And one of the bravest stories in the Bible is the story of John the Baptist. And I want to read it from Mark 6 verse 14 to 18. This is John the Baptist already dead, and um, he was beheaded by Herod. And this is now um, them reflecting on Jesus and seeing this man who came and uh, he's doing miracles. And now they're reflecting on this panicking. Uh, uh, Herod is starting to panic, panic, thinking, what has happened now? John the Baptist came back to life. Verse 14, Mark 6, verse 14 to 18. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet like the one, um, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead, for Herod himself have, had given orders to have John arrested. And he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had, see, had, been, saying, uh, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. What this scripture is saying, you must understand Herod was a political leader. He was the leader of the day. And John bravely stood up and said that what you are doing with this adulterous relationship that you are having is not according to the word of God. You see, we sometimes think that the word of God is just for Christian culture. But here we see that it has a global scope. It has a political scope. Here John is keeping one of his political leaders accountable for his behavior. Bravely standing up against that, which cost his life at the end of the day. Christianity molds culture 
everywhere. Not, you're not just a Christian in your little Christian community. You mirror Christ wherever you go. And I want to end with a, with a short story out of my own life. I worked in a firm uh, in marketing. We produced a certain product that we had to ship off um, every day, and there was lots of pressure to make sure that everything happens on time. And many times there was expected of me to lie, to say that it's on its way, but it's still in the workroom. And I just refused. I was just a radical Christian, and I, I just refused. I just refused to lie. And this bothered me, and I couldn't really say something about it. I just never lied. But I bought a big poster in those days. When I was 19 years old, it was a big thing to have posters. So I bought this big poster that said, if honesty is the best policy, why am I getting yelled at? And then one of my bosses came, stood in front of me, looked at the poster and said, you have an attitude. <laughs> and he was right. I did have an attitude. I was brave in speaking up um, in a nonverbal way, but I was doing it in the wrong attitude. And from that day onwards, I decided to do it in a different way. I decided not to lie, but also not to put the company in a bad light. You see, sometimes you can be on your high horse with the wrong attitude, and that will produce and move in the same spirit that is broken, that broke culture in the first place. So I want to encourage you, wherever you are, whatever your front line is like, wherever you move, maybe you are a parent at home uh, having to work with children that comes from school, being molded the whole day in a worldly culture, but I want to encourage you, engage in culture. Engage with your children. Ask them questions. Lead them back to their logical conclusions and help them to change. Our children are lost in schools today, in the world that we live in. Our young people do not know how to navigate themselves in, in culture in today's world. So it takes bravery. And I want to encourage you to be brave, to think about your workplace. Think about where there is a toxic behavior. Maybe it's your behavior. Maybe you are doing the right thing with the wrong attitude. I want you to think about it. Take time in this week and ponder and say, God, come and speak to me. Help me to mold culture with the right attitude, reflecting who you are. Thank you, everybody, for being with us today. I just want to now pray for us. And as you close your eyes and you just think about your workplace, your sphere of influence, your home, your culture, I want you to come and put um, that before God. Come and put your heart before God. Come and put the fruits of your heart before God. Lord, we come to you 
as broken people. We pray, come Holy Spirit, come and transform our hearts. Come and transform our priorities. Come and transform our attitudes. Help us to mirror who you are in our workplace, in our front line, in our homes, in our culture. Help us to be brave, to be bold, to stand up when we need to, to speak up when we have to. But more than ever, Lord, help us to be salt and light, bringing wisdom and hope into this world. We love you, Lord. We pray that our lives will glorify your name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody, for being with us today. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.